Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Man, could we please have a longer intro than that? I need some time. My grace, that's like five seconds. Uh, Good morning, beautiful people, though. I hope everybody's doing well this morning. Uh, Thank you guys for choosing City Walk as part of your morning. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you guys, my name is Matt Lynch, and I serve here as part of the guest experience team and also as part of the teaching team, obviously. Um, So my wife and I, we've been part of City Walk for a little over four years now. Uh, Raise your hand. Who was here back when we used to have service at RV? Okay, a couple people. Yeah, yeah. So when we started, we were at River Valley. That was also back when we only had two kids, my wife and I. Yeah, I'm trying not to look at anybody from my city group because on Wednesday we had a little TMI moment. So, yes, we did have two kids. Now we have four kids and two dogs. But anyways, here's a picture of my family, just so you guys can get a little visual. You've probably seen them running around. But here's my wife, Corinne. She helps with the worship team. Here's our oldest, Karis, who's going to be seven in January. She will let you know. You have a conversation with her, she'll let you know. She's been turning seven for 11 months, okay? This is Micah. He's our second born. Micah's five. He's in kindergarten. This is Miles, who's three. And this is Casey, who's almost one and a half. I don't have a picture of the dogs, sorry, but we have two Dobermans at home also. But anyway, life is busy, you could tell. Young family, four kids, two dogs. Life is challenging at moments, raising kids, having dogs. Uh, We're trying to figure stuff out, you know. But one of the things I love about being a dad, and one of the things that I enjoy as my kids get older, is watching them go through challenging times. Now, you might be looking at me like, dude, are you an evil parent? Like, what's wrong with you? But hear me out. One of the things I enjoy about parenting is watching my kids go through tough situations, and here's why. How we approach our challenges is a window into our heart that reveals who and what we trust. Now, I'm going to say that one more time and kind of let that digest, because it's true for all of us. How we approach our challenges is a window into our heart that reveals who and what we trust. A simpler way, who you trust is who you run to. When all hell breaks loose, I can say hell in church, when all hell breaks loose and stuff starts happening, who you trust is who you're going to run to. I'll give you another example. So my daughter, who I just shared about, Karis, who's seven, um, frequently, not frequently, but every so often she has bad dreams, nightmares, as most kids do. And she used to holler, mommy, daddy, come into the room, whatever, right? And we would pray for her. Well, over the course of time, we've taught her how to pray for herself and how to pray for situations when they're challenging or when she's nervous or when she's afraid. And so now she's learning, hey, yes, I could trust mommy and daddy, 
but I can trust God before I have to go run to mommy and daddy. And so it's, it's a nice window when situations come up in our life, when situations come up in other people's life, it gives us a window to see who and what we trust in. And so even though that's true for my daughter, like I said, there are things even for myself as a grown 35-year-old adult. Actually, I'm acting like my daughter right now. I'm not 35 yet. I'll be 35 in January also. All right. But there's still things in my life that I'm, I'm walking with God through, trying to figure out, learning how to trust him in him. And some of those areas, just to be transparent, I often ask myself this question, man, can I just make enough money? Anybody been there? Can I just make enough? And here's the thing. What I'm learning about myself is, it's not necessarily like, like what is enough? How much money is enough money? Like if I make another like $10,000, is that enough? And what I'm learning in myself is that all my needs are met. I actually do make enough. The real challenge in my heart is, can I live a life of contentment as I trust God since all my needs are met? Like what am I really, what's in my heart that's really craving more money for? Why am I really having this crave and this desire and this pursuit? And so it becomes a challenge in my heart. It's like, man, I'm always finding myself like complaining or worrying about money, but at the end of the day, my needs are met. So that's just one of the challenges for me. Another challenge for me, and you guys know this, many of you, I work at a high school, okay? A high school. I see and I hear a lot of stuff that teenagers go through. And so without putting anybody on blast, all the teenagers right now just got real nervous. They're like, where is he going with this? My parent is sitting right next to me. But one of the things that I'm, I'm challenged with myself is like, man, do I trust God that my kids are going to be faithful to the Lord through their high school and teenage years? And if they're not, do I still trust God that he has a plan with all the things that they're going through and all the decisions they make? Because when I listen and hear of all the stuff that is going on in teenage years, and I look at my kids, I'm like, man, they're just not going to school. I'm going to just leave them at the house all day so that way they can't get exposed to any of that stuff. And it's something that I'm challenged as a parent, like, man, do I trust God? Do I trust God that no matter what is thrown at my kids, I can trust him that he's going to see them through on the other side? And that's a challenge of mine. And one of the other challenges that I have, and some of you guys might relate to this one, is navigating family relationships. That uncle, that cousin, that brother, that sister that deeply offended you. Can I trust God to reconcile and actually move forward in a loving relationship with that individual? Now, those are just some of the challenges in my personal life. And for some of you, you might be listening this morning and you might be nodding your head like, man, you just spoke my whole life right now. You can drop the mic and walk off this stage. But I know that for each of us, no matter if you relate to those challenges, there's probably something in each of our lives that we're like, man, like I, I struggle with certain things. And there's one thing that I want us to know, well, not just one thing, but one of the things I want us to know this morning is that we can trust God through our challenges. And I want to encourage us with this. God sees your challenge. It might seem cliche in the, in, the, in the church setting, but do we really believe and trust and know God sees what you're going through? 
And not only does God see what we're all going through, God actually wants to get involved with what we're going through. And not only does he want to get involved with us, is that God wants to do something in the midst of our challenge. And sometimes we want God to, like, remove the challenge, but sometimes the challenge is there for God to do something inside of us. Right? So sometimes we go through stuff and we're like, I just wish this would pass. I just wish this would go away. And sometimes that's sitting right in front of you because God doesn't want to change the environment. He wants to change something inside of you so that way the next time you're in that environment, the environment changes because of what he's already done inside of you. Does that make sense? So in all the things that we're going through, there's a reason, and we can trust God through all of the challenges that we go through. And for some of us, he wants us to be clear about this. He knows that some of the things we're going through are not our fault. And some of us, you're like, amen to that. I'm going through some stuff that is not my fault. My mama did this, and now I'm suffering. My spouse did this, and now I'm suffering. My brother did this, and now I'm suffering. My blank, 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 and blank, blank, blank. And some of us really are going through some challenging things, or we've been through some challenging things, or some challenging things are coming up that really are not our fault. And I feel you for that. And God says, I understand that it's not your fault. Still allow me in and allow me to walk with you through this. Don't harden your heart. Don't blame God. Don't walk away from God. Don't get angry at God. It might not be your fault, but we can trust him in the midst of it, even if it's not your fault, no matter what you're going through, because our God is trustworthy. And for some of us, we just got to be real. Some of us have some serious challenge in our life, and it is 100% self-inflicted, and we got to own that. Some of us did some stuff that we had no business doing. We said some stuff we had no business saying. We went to some places we had no business going to. You typed something that you had no business typing, and now you find yourself in a situation where you're challenged and it feels like things are closing in on you and you get a little stress and anxiety because of the situation that you're in, and it's 100% because of the decisions that you've made. But here's the beautiful thing. Whether you're on this side where you find yourself going through some challenging moments that are not your fault, or you're on this side where you're like, man, he's right. i got to swallow this one. This is all on me. I've been there before. Please believe. I put myself in some situations that I had to look in the mirror and be like, you are a terrible guy. We got to figure this joint out because if we do this again, we're going to be in the trubs times two. And we got to just own those things. But the beautiful thing is no matter what side you fall on, God meets us in the mess. He meets us in the mess if we allow him into the mess. Because what happens is some of us find ourselves in situations and we try to handle it on our own. We try to figure it out, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And God's sitting there like, all right, if you, if you want to, you put yourself in this mess, but I'm here. I will help you. I will help you. Or maybe you didn't put yourself in the mess and God's like, hey, I'm here. I will help you if you just allow me into the situation and if you trust me. So today, here's kind of our motto that I want us to really soak up today. 
God is trustworthy, so trust him. Deep, right? Deep. God is trustworthy, so trust him. I can't get any plainer than that, any simpler than that. God is trustworthy, so trust him. That is the motto of today. When you leave this place, I want you to be like, dang, God is trustworthy. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him in this situation. That's the direction that we're going today. So before we hop in the text, we're going to read Psalm 34. There's a couple of things that I want us to understand about the background of this scripture before we hop into it. So it's written by King David, which many of us have heard. And, you know, whether you go to church or not, most of us have heard of King David. And when David is writing Psalm 34, check this out, guys. He's in his early 20s when he's writing this piece of literature. Early 20s. I'm not going to tell you guys what I was doing in my early 20s. All right. But he's a young man in his early 20s. And we know a little bit about his background. At about 12 years old, he was a shepherd for his family. And so he's watching over the sheep and the animals. He had to fight off wolves and bears and lions to protect his, his family's animals and sheep. And at 16 years old, we heard this infamous story of him killing the giant Goliath. So he did that at 16 years old. Any 16-year-olds in the house? Nobody wants to raise their hand. All right, there's one in the back. There we go. You're not 16. (laughs) But you guys get it. At 12 years old, he's protecting the sheep, fighting off animals. At 16 years old, he kills the giant Goliath. And also at about 16 years old, the prophet Samuel comes to him and says, hey, your son is going to be the next king of Israel. And so at 16 years old, he's already been prophesied to that he's going to be the next king over the land. But guess what? At 20 years old, when he's writing Psalm 34, He's writing this in a cave. He's hiding for his life in a cave. So he was prophesied to about four or five years before that he was going to be the next king of Israel, but his life looks nothing like that. So he's kind of in the balance, like, man, I was told I was going to be king, and here I am in a cave. And why is he in this cave? Because King Saul is out to kill him. It's on sight if King Saul sees him. And King Saul is not going to capture David and have a conversation. He's literally out to kill David, end his life, ruin his whole career, right? And so David finds himself in this challenging moment, as you can only imagine. And I can't help but to try to put myself in David's shoes, because guess what David did to be put in this situation? Absolutely nothing. He didn't slap Saul's mom in the face. He wasn't trying to holler at Saul's girl on the low. He wasn't at work, like, talking trash about Saul, like, man, this Saul guy, he a buster. Like, I don't know why anybody bangs with him. He's stupid, he's an idiot, and he's ugly. All right? He didn't say, like, none of that. Like, David did absolutely nothing, yet he's running for his life. He's hiding, for himself in the, he's hiding by himself in the cave, and he doesn't know how long he's going to be there. And King Saul wants him dead, all because King Saul is jealous, he's angry, And he doesn't want David to be the next king. So as we go through Psalm 34, keep all that stuff in mind. Because verse 1 says this. 
And if you've read this before, this is just, this is just crazy. The very first verse, David pulls out his journal. <clears throat> Let me write some stuff down real quick. Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Time out. <laughs> Time out. Did he just say, I will bless the Lord at all times? His praise will always be on my lips. Is this guy serious? Like, didn't we not just say that David was hiding in a cave? He doesn't know how long he's going to be in that cave. Didn't we just say that there's somebody out to kill him, to take his life, to ruin his whole career, to shut everything down, take him away from his family, end his whole life, make him have his last breath? Didn't we just say that? How in the world can this dude pull out his journal and start writing and say, you know what, I will bless the Lord at all times? That's just crazy. But guess what? It gives us, this moment gives us a picture and a window into David's heart on who he trusts and who he's going to run to. And based on what we know about David and the things that have taken place in his life, this is really what David is saying. David is saying, since I have experienced God's protection before, I will trust him. Since I have experienced God's provision before, guess what? I will bless his name. Since I have experienced God answer my prayers before, I will trust him. I will continue to lean on him. I will bless his name because I've experienced his trustworthiness and his faithfulness. And I need someone to say amen for that. It's because of David's experiences with who God is and God's faithfulness that David says, I don't care if I'm in a cave. I don't care if I lost my job. I don't care if my marriage is on the rocks. I don't care if people are tripping. I don't care if fill in the blank. I'm going to bless his name. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to lean on him because my God is faithful. I've seen it before. I'll see it right now. Even if Saul's coming after me, I will bless his name. And David remains in worship, confident in who God is because God has shown himself. So God is trustworthy. Let's trust him. As a gathering, let's soak that in. God is trustworthy no matter what you're going through. So let's trust him. So we look at this and we see David making such a powerful declaration that no matter what he's in, no matter the intensity of the moment, no matter if his back is against the wall, that he's going to trust the Lord. In verse 2, we continue. David says this in the next line. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear, and they'll be glad. And then in verse 3, you know, it, I, whenever I read the Psalms, it's so interesting to me. This is not on my notes at all. But uh, David didn't know who was going to read these. Right, most of the, he's writing these kind of for himself, but then he's like, "Yeah, somebody might read these one day." But he's not writing like, "Oh man, I can't wait for such and such to read this." Ooh, this is gonna be some good. Ooh, yeah, yeah. No, these are real life in time moments that he's just pouring out his heart. Probably not on paper. I don't know if they had paper back then, but you get what I'm talking about. So in verse three, he invites the reader, whoever that is. For today, it's us, and he says this in verse three. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all my fears. 
Let me put a pin here real quick. God didn't rescue David from his situation. It's not what David said. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he will. Remember like we said earlier, David said that God rescued him from all his fears. So God gave David courage in the moment in the midst of what his environment was. It's like I said, sometimes we want the environment to change, and God is saying, hey, lean on me. I will give you what you need for the environment that you're in. Some of you guys will get that when you get home. In verse 5, those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues him. Now, it's important, again, that we pause for a second. These first seven verses, when David's writing these, this is not just positive thinking, okay? We're in this era where everybody's like, you can manifest your peace. You can manifest everything. Like, this is not David just trying to, like, manifest something. No, this is David making statements and proclamations because of what he's experienced and because of what he knows is true. Does that make sense? It's because of things that he's already known to be true because of his experiences with God. And so he says, I sought the Lord. Real action on my behalf. I sought the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He answered and he rescued me. Real moments. And he says this, those who look to him are radiant with joy. That means that their lives overflow with joy. Those who look to him, those who trust him, those who lean on him, those who call upon his name, those who humble themselves for his help, it says that they are radiant with joy. So here's the time I get to tell on myself. Every time I preach, I find something to tell on myself about. You guys love it. That's why you keep coming back. No, I'm just kidding. So let me get vulnerable for a minute. Hopefully this helps somebody out. So when I was 19 years old, uh, there was a lot going on in my life, self-inflicted. Had a lot of challenges, a lot of things I was trying to work through. Uh, I was addicted to smoking weed, addicted to pornography, and having sex before marriage. Uh, I was addicted to alcohol. I was all over the place, just a mess. And I also had this, this fear of becoming who God had called me to be because I was afraid of what people would say about me. So right around 19, now I had lived in this wild lifestyle. I've been living this way for about three years. But when I was 16, I kind of started to go down this little slippery slope. So for three years, this is who I was. This is what I embraced. These were the things I did. And I was never really convicted about it. And at 19 years old, God started to do something in my heart. And for the first time, I started to get convicted for smoking weed. I started to get convicted for watching pornography. I started to get convicted for drinking. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I don't like this conviction. Like, can't I just do me? Like, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, yeah, I know God is real and everything like this, but God was doing something in my heart for the first time. And I was like, yo, what is really going on? So all that's taking place. I'm at 19 years old, and I'm like, okay, I, I got to figure this out. So God's pulling at the strings in my heart, and i just like, okay, God, I need to come clean. I got to come to you. I need to confess this stuff. So... What did I do? I prayed, and I sought after him. Those two things. I prayed, and my prayer was, God, 
I'm making terrible decisions. These things have a hold on me, and I need your help because I know this isn't your best for me. I know this isn't your best for me. Here's the thing. If I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't that I didn't like smoking weed. It wasn't that I didn't like drinking. It wasn't that I didn't like the things I do. But what I didn't like was the fact that God was challenging me and the conviction was getting so real and so thick. And I was like, God, I hear you telling me that this is not your best for me. And I would try to suppress it. I would try to ignore it. I would try to just... You know, oh, this is just a moment in time. I'm going to be all right. It's like, nah, God, this isn't your best for me, and you're making it clear. And so I sought after God, and I prayed. And, and one of the other things that I prayed is I prayed for my roommate, right? Because I told you guys, man, like one of my fears was like, man, if, if I really become serious with Jesus, if I really start denouncing all these things that I'm going through, then I'm going to be alone, and I'm going to have no friends, and people are going to look at me weird. They're going to call me a Bible thumper, a Jesus freak. Oh, my God, it's too much for me. I'm afraid. And so I started to pray for my roommate. I said, God, what you're doing in my heart, I need you to do in his heart. Because I just, I just don't want to walk through this alone, God. Can you please do in his heart what you're doing in my heart? And so at this time, we're in the middle of spring, or not spring break, it's Christmas break. We're away from college. He's at his house. I'm at my house uh, across the country. He lived in Washington, D.C. I lived here in California. And I started to pray for him. And he called me during our break. Yo. Yo, what's up? Hey, man. I'm done with everything. Bro, what you talking about? Hey, man, when we get back to school, man, I'm not drinking no more. I'm not smoking no more. We're not throwing parties at the house no more. Like, I'm done with all of it. And I had not told him anything. I had not told him anything that God was doing in my heart. I kept it to myself, and I just thought, I just thought I'm just going to pray. And I was like, yo, Sean, bro, I've been praying for you, dog, like every single day. Like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I don't know, man. God's just doing something in my heart. I'm feeling really challenged with my lifestyle. That he's like, when we get back to school, man, it's all Jesus. I'm like, bet. I'm with you on that. Team Jesus. Click. And so in that moment... God gave me the reality that he's trustworthy. I'm in a situation that's challenging. My life is a mess. And God heard my prayer. He answered my prayer. And he gave me a teammate and a road dog to go on this journey with. And it was the most beautiful thing. And as I began to spend time with God and his word, as I began to develop that relationship with him, he started to give me the courage to embrace who he was calling me to be. Because I told you, it was like, I went from being a, a well-known person because of the party lifestyle and all that stuff to being somebody who wasn't in that lifestyle and was trying to follow Jesus. And so it was two major extremes. And like I said, I was afraid to be on this side because I'd never been on this side. All my friends were on that side. And that the more I started to read the word, the more I started to allow God into the challenges of my heart and tell him what was really going on, the more courage he began to fill in me. And it started to become easier to share my faith and tell people, like, hey, man, you might not understand, but let me tell you what God is doing. Let me tell you what he's doing in my heart. Let me tell you what I'm learning in the Bible. Let me share with you, man, the things that God is doing. And those same people, weeks later, months later, years later, are asking me, hey, man, tell me something about God. Hey, man, can you pray for me? So what could have been a moment where I allowed fear to keep me from running to God, 
God filled me with courage, and he's now using me to bring other people to come to know him. On the other side of obedience is so much freedom and so much joy. And if I had not acted in obedience to that moment, I might not be up on stage right now talking to you guys. But on the other side of our obedience is so much joy, so much fulfillment, but we got to let God in to those fearful moments, to those challenging moments, and walk in obedience because he has something for us on the other side. Amen? So we hop back in this, and let's go through the next kind of series of verses that David writes. So David, we pick up on verse 8, and David writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person that takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. So basically, David is saying, hey, man, don't just take my word for it. Try him for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't got to trust me. Trust him. Taste and see for yourself. And maybe for some of us in here, because I know this is real for some people that I've talked to, maybe you've tried to put your trust in God before, and he didn't do something that you thought he should have done. And so maybe you feel some hesitancy. Maybe you feel like, man, I've kind of tried that before, and God didn't do what I thought he should do. And here's the thing. Spoiler alert. Sometimes God won't do what you think he should do. But God is going to do what he knows he should do for our growth. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Oftentimes what we don't understand, God understands in a masterpiece that he's building that is far beyond our comprehension. So if he doesn't do what you think he should do, he's probably trying to do something inside of us and not outside of us. So for some of us also, maybe, uh, maybe we believe in God's existence, but we just struggle with trusting in what the Bible says. You know, like, oh, I know God is real. I believe God is real because of this reason, that reason. But when it comes to actually putting our trust in what the Bible says, we're like, eh, Noah's Ark, bruh, I just don't know. Bruh, like walking on water, eh, ha, just don't know. And so we believe in God's existence, but God is calling us to believe in his word and believe in what he's written and believe in what he's left for us. So maybe you're like, you know what, I believe in God, but like putting my trust in the scriptures, putting my trust in what it says, there's a little disconnect there. But I want to encourage us with this. No matter where we are on that spectrum of trust, this kind of relates to David's writing of taste and see. This is a life verse of mine that I want to share with you guys. So James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Very simple verse, very simple promise. And this was true for my life. When I started to draw near to God, when I started to pick up that Bible and read those scriptures, when I started to be vulnerable and transparent with God and say, hey, God, I'm addicted to this. I need some help. I'm making poor decisions. God needs some help. I got some serious fear in my life, God, from what people think about me. I'm really too concerned with what people say and how they view me. God, when I let him into those moments and when I draw near to him, he has been faithful 
over the last, how long have I been following the Lord? Since 2008. You guys can do the math. All right. But when I draw near to God, he is faithful to continue to draw near to me. And that is just a simple encouragement. If you're here this morning, you're like, you know what? I've really never drawn near to God in that kind of fashion before. I want to encourage you. God will draw near to you when we draw near to him. And for some of us in here, man, I just I want to take time to applaud you guys because some of you guys are in here this moment because you are taking that step. Like some of us that, and I put myself in this category, when you grow up in church, it's nothing to go to church because that's what you've always done. But there are people in our gathering right now who did not grow up in the church, and they've had to walk into these doors and meet people and try to figure out church culture, and they don't really know what to say and what to do. And Not that any of that matters, but they come in here and they're like, I ain't never been to the church in my life before, right? And so I applaud people who are listening to God's voice in their life and are taking steps to show up to church, to pick up their Bibles, to join small groups, to get involved, to serve on ministry teams. There are several of you in here that I've met and I've talked to who are in that boat. You ain't grew up in church, or maybe you spent years away from church, and you're listening to God. As you draw near to him, he's continuing to draw near to you. And that's why some of you guys are here, because you are experiencing what I'm talking about. Some of you guys are experiencing God pull you in and draw you closer. So I want to make sure that I applaud you guys and encourage you to continue. Continue the journey. Keep trusting him. Keep drawing near to him. And let's hop back into verse 10. So verse 10, David kind of transitions to another point in his, in his writing, and he says this, young lions lack food and they go hungry, but those who seek the Lord uh, will not lack anything good. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life, loving long life, and enjoy what is good? Then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. So the simple application, simple application for Psalm 34 is to trust God. I don't know if you figured that out yet, but what David is saying, hey, is trust God. Now, the reality, though, is sometimes trust needs to be built up and developed. And so instead of me just telling you, hey, guys, trust God, right, my goal in these next couple minutes is to encourage you and to help you to figure out why we should trust God and how we can trust God. And so in Psalm 34, David kind of reveals some of the benefits of trusting God. And some of those benefits that David lays out in his writing are joy, provision, and hope. Those are three things embedded in Psalm 34 that David shares are some of the benefits of trusting God. So let's talk about joy for a minute. Now, joy is something that most people in their life say, yeah, I want to be joyful. I want to have more joy in my life. And for some of us, we even want the perception of being a joyful person. You want people to look at you and be like, dang, that's a joyful person. They're always in a good mood. Man, they're always happy. But here's the reality about joy. Joy cannot be pretended. You can't fake joy. 
Joy is a state of being. You're either a joyful person or you ain't a joyful person. You can't really pretend it. And so what David is saying is in verse 5, he says, those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. You don't have to pretend to be joyful if you're constantly pursuing and seeking and trusting God. God imparts joy into you. Now, growing up in church, I used to always learn about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So I can know the fruits of the Spirit. And for some reason, I had a thought that I had to pretend to have the fruits of the Spirit. I said, oh, Christians are supposed to be loving. Christians are supposed to be joyful. Christians are supposed to be blank. And what I didn't realize, the fruits of the Spirit are not something that we're supposed to try to emulate. The fruits of the Spirit are what God deposits inside of us as we remain intimate with him. So my whole mind was like, if I want more joy, I need to be close to the Lord. If I want more peace, I need to be close to the Lord. If I want a lifestyle that emulates the love of God, I need to be close to God. It's not me pretending, it's God imparting. And so here we are. David is writing these things, and he's encouraging us, and he's saying, hey, those who look to him, they will be radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. And then in verse 8, again, I want to touch on that again. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy, how happy is the person who takes refuge in him. And so the second thing that's embedded in Psalm 34 is this idea of provision, right? God has promised to supply what we need. So if you're challenged with your resources, your livelihood, I want to encourage you by what David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 10. Again, he says this, young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. And again, the real challenge is, are we content with what the Lord is providing? Do we really need more? And I'm not saying that to put a cloud over yourself, but this is something that I'm wrestling with myself and something for all of us to ask ourselves. Do we really need more? Or is there something inside of us that just says, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, because God has promised those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. His provisions are there for his people. His provisions are there for those who are in a relationship with him and pursue him and seek him. So do I trust that? Do I trust that he will continue to provide the needs of my life and my family? Because God's got us. He's got us. And this last little piece, hope. So hope is kind of that future tense of like, man, will tomorrow be okay? Will next week be okay? And even while David is hiding in the cave, not knowing how long he's going to be running from Saul, not knowing how close Saul is, or not knowing what tomorrow looks like, he writes this. Who is someone who desires life, loving and long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. So in this moment, David is like, man, I don't care what's going on. I'm not going to respond with evil. My back is against the wall. Saul is coming after me. My life is in danger. And I could use this moment to have a pity party and get mad and get upset and get angry and say Saul is this and Saul is that. And boom, 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 boom. He says, I'm going to keep myself away 
from evil because I know that God has something for me on the other side. Talk about a level of trust in David's heart. That when his life is in danger, I have hope for what's on the other side of this. So much so that in this moment of trial and tribulation, life in danger, I still refuse to say anything bad about Saul. And if you read the story, David had an opportunity to kill Saul, and he didn't take it. Because even in the midst of whatever's going on, he says, I will keep myself from evil because I have hope for what's on the other side. What a powerful relationship that David had with, with God. And so our relationship really to kind of break it down into um, something that we can all understand, because we might be asking ourselves, like, yeah, Matt, that sounds good, but, like, man, that's King David. <sighs> I'm not King David. You don't know what I'm going on. I might not be hiding in a cave, but the stuff that I'm going through, it sucks. The stuff that I'm going through, it's really, really hard for me to get through. And so the one thing I want us to get through today, kind of what the, the whole theme is, is just as our relationships with the people around us, right, you're not going to trust nobody that you don't spend time with. If you do, man, then hey, whoa, that's on you. But if I just meet somebody for the first time, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, watch my daughter. Yeah, I'll be back. I don't know you yet, right? But the more I spend time with someone, the more you spend time with people, guess what? Your trust in them builds because you're spending time with them. But here's what else happens. You also have to give them an opportunity to prove that they're trustworthy. So as you go through life, as you go through situations... And as you invite people into the things that you're going through, you then find out whether or not they're trustworthy. It is the same exact thing with our relationship with God. As we spend time with God, we'll find ourselves in moments where we have opportunity to invite him in and to figure out that he's trustworthy. A lady at my church used to always say, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know God can solve them. But every time I have a problem, I'm finding out, hey, God can solve them. And so we have to allow God into those moments to figure out that he's trustworthy. It's the same way with our human relationships. Spend time, build trust. Spend time, build trust. And that's what God's asking. Hey, spend time with me, build trust. Spend time with me, build trust. Because God is trustworthy. So let me leave you guys with this quote. And this quote has helped me out so much along my journey. One of my pastors used to say this back in the day. It says this. My private practice will impact my public presence. Say it again. My private practice will impact my public presence. What I do in private will impact who I am and how I respond to things in public. See, David is described as a man after God's own heart. We know David prayed in private. We know David studied the scriptures in private. And as a result of David doing those things in private in his own time, David had confidence amongst his challenges. So whenever he was in a situation, David and Goliath, uh, fighting uh, the, uh, the, the lions and the bears when he was a shepherd, uh, running from Saul and not knowing when his next day would be. When those moments happened, it was because of David's private practice of pursuing God, he was able to have confidence when those challenges took place. And so, again, David's plea in verse 8, to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
How happy is the person that takes refuge in him? Whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus, like if you've been following the Lord for decades now, years now, or you're here today and you're like, you know what, uh, I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. I'm still kind of investigating. Um, I want you to hold on to that verse for this week. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person that takes refuge in him? And again, I'm aware that for some of us, we have challenges. So if you're in here this morning, you're listening online, you would say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I got certain things that I'm just kind of skeptical about. I got certain things that I just have, have a little bit of trust issues. What I want you to do this week is to lay all that before him. Share God the reasons why you struggle trusting him. Just share with him. Maybe you've had Jesus followers let you down. Maybe you had an uncle who was a follower of Jesus, and he did something way crazy. Maybe you had a, a, a mom, a dad, a friend, or somebody who was a follower of Jesus, and they did something that was way out in left field. Now you're like, yeah, you know what? Them Christians, man, they kind of let me down, so I don't know if I can trust you, God. Don't let someone else's foolishness have a stamp of God on it. God is God because God is God. Whether or not we as people live obedient lives or not, because none of us are perfect. So if you're looking at man to see God, you're going to get let down quite a few times. But if you look at man through the eyes of God, you'll constantly be helping and encouraging and pushing people towards God. So don't look at man trying to find God all the time. Look at man through the eyes of God and help support and encourage and push people closer to him. So maybe you're here today and you do have a relationship with God and you're listening online. I want you guys to reflect on verse 8 from a different standpoint. I want you to reflect on verse 8 and I want you to go back to when you first put your trust in Jesus. How much freedom you felt, how much hope you felt for the future, how light you felt, how joyful you felt. And I want you to hold on to that. And I want you to, on your very next challenging moment, situation, or maybe you're going through something right now, I want you to reflect on the fact that the same God who met you, that day you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that day you embraced him, that day you invited him in your life, that same God then is the same God now. He's standing with you. He's waiting for us to invite him in. And he wants to walk us through the challenges, the mess, and everything we're going. If that's you, I want you to just hold on to that throughout this week, that God is constant even 10, 15, 20, 25 years later. Same God who picked you up is the same God who's waiting and who wants to pick us up once again. So no matter where we find ourselves, God is trustworthy, so trust him. And the beautiful thing is, as you trust him, as he reveals himself, those become testimonies and pebbles that you can share with your friends, that you can share with your family. Because some of us, you're either a parent, maybe one day you aspire to be a parent, and you're going to have conversations with your kids, and your kids are going to ask, Daddy, why do you trust God? Girl, I'm glad that you asked. 2008, this happened. 2009, this happened. 2013, this happened. 2015, happened. The fact that you're breathing right here, that's a testimony that God is good, okay? Because, you know what I mean? And they just become memoirs, and they become things that we can share with other people on how we've come to learn that God is trustworthy. So in the midst of whatever you have going on, cling to God 
and know that he's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you right now that you see everything that we're going through. You see the things in our heart that weigh us down. You see the situations that stress us out. You see our doubts. You see our hesitations. You see our frustration. You see our anger. You see our hurt. You see our pain. You see it all, God. And my prayer, Father, is that you would enter into our hearts right now and speak to us exactly what we need to hear. And that you would draw us near to you, God, and help us to trust you no matter where we find ourselves. And if you're here today and you would say, you know what, Matt? I don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I think that's the first step. I need to trust him for who he is. If you're in here today or you're listening online and you would say, man, that's me, I haven't really trusted God with my life as my Savior, I want to encourage you today to make that something that you do in this moment. God is with you. God sees everything you're going through. And God loves you, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants to be involved. He wants you to know his love for you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to impart that joy that we were talking about. He wants to impart that freedom. And he wants you to be someone who knows that intimacy with him is real. So if that's you, you can start your relationship with Jesus right now, right today, by just repeating after me. God, I admit that I have sinned and I've gone in my own direction apart from you. I admit, God, that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've done what's wrong. I admit, God, that I have not done things your way. And, God, I believe the message that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my mistakes and that you raised him from the dead, that I could be in a relationship with you, that I can be forgiven, that I can have an opportunity to walk with you. And just tell God, I believe, and God, I choose to follow you. I choose, God, to invite you into my heart. I need you. And I want this relationship with you. And just tell God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. And help me, God, to walk with you the way that you've called me to walk with you. We thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.